Darkness is not an affirmative force. It simply reoccupies the space vacated by the light. This is the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio. It should be uncomfortable for a believer to live as a hypocrite. Delivering people out of the bondage of mainstream media. And the philosophies of this world. God has called you and me to be his ambassadors. Even in this dark moment. Let's not miss our moment. And now, the Hamilton Quarter. Yeah, boy, I hope y'all enjoy that music as much as I do. Sometimes I'm dragging a little bit. I say, hey, you drag sometimes, sometimes. Then I hear that music. Then all is right in my world. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in to the Hamilton Corner here on American Family Radio. We have a smaller crew in the building today. It's just me and my brother Rob Gardner. Now, we will have another visitor to the corner. He's coming in. He, you know, he just got finished with his milk crepe, so he has to flip it over and put it on the neutral ground with us here. <laughs> so he'll say, what is a neutral ground? That's a New Orleanian factoid for you. What we call neutral ground, some of you may refer to as medians. <laughs> but I am back in the building, glad to be here, back from Georgia, where a couple things are happening there with the U.S. Senate runoff elections there. I may get to that later on, but I'm glad to be back in studio with you yet again, where it is still true that what goes on in your house is far more important than what's going on in the White House. And of course, you guys know I know and I believe that those things are important, but they're not more important than what goes on within your families. The first institution that God created was the family. Now, it doesn't mean he didn't create other institutions, but he didn't create them first. (laughs) And I would contend that the Lord having all power, being all power, could have done it however he chose to do so, but specifically did so by creating the family first. I think he's saying something there to us. And it's amazing that it it seems that um, hmm, every, well, let me say it this way. It seems that the the family of God seems to be the last ones departed recognizing how important the family is. You know, everybody else works so hard. Government passes things like compulsory attendance laws for education. (laughs) But it's important that we understand God's view of the family and that God's view of the family shapes our view of the family. And if we welcome that, I think we'll be positioned to execute the Great Commission beginning in Jerusalem and working outward from there. I say it all the time (laughs) that if you want to see things change in our nation, we must see things change around our dinner tables. Because if God could get a hold of us in our within our families, there's no question what he could do with our country. Amen. Amen. Now, we're going to begin with the word of God. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. And this is something, once I get started, some of you are going to remember that I I started this warning quite some time ago. And, um, And it was a warning that has only seen an uptick in, in recent days, it's, 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 start, it's been happening and it's increasing and it's happening increasingly. And one of my prayers for us and through this program is that God would give us discernment as we are sharpened by his word. That has been one of my prayers. 
Now, I'm going to read this. I wonder if I should explain. Yeah, I'll explain first, and then I'll read it. And I'll tell you why I'm offering this warning. You may remember um, that I warned a while back that you were going to begin to see increasing calls for unity, right? Increasing calls for unity. But there would, there would be one um, key factor that would be present in those calls for unity is that they, wouldn't be call, they would not be calls for unity anchored by the truth of God's word. And I, the warning that I offered before was to beware of calls for unity that require you to abandon your commitment to truth. Some of you may remember that because the Bible is replete. And we're going to go back to an example here, but the Bible is replete. We, we need to be able to distinguish humanistic, man-centered calls for unity from bibliocentric, God-breathed calls for unity because they are not the same thing. They are not the same thing. And I said to you before, the Bible is filled with examples of men unifying for wicked purposes. Just because you're unified doesn't mean you're unified in the spirit of God. You can be unified in a spirit that ain't the spirit of God. I said before as an example, man, you go to a Saints football game in the Superdome on a Sunday. I'm telling you, it gets hot in the dome. But that's not the spirit of God. Look, my man Jeff is on, 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 on the comments. He said the mafia is unified. Wow. Brothers and sisters, saints of the living God, remember, I quote this often, Charles Haddon Spurgeon's definition for discernment. Discernment is not distinguishing right from wrong. That's what Spurgeon preached. Discernment is distinguishing right from almost right. That, my friends, is what discernment is. Now, I'm going to read this text. The scripture says this. Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 1 through 4. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. They said, Come. Let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, why is this so significant? It's significant for several reasons. One, it shows a biblical depiction all the way back in the book of Genesis of a humanistic initiation toward unity. The second thing it shows is that there was a man-centered willingness to cooperate. The third thing it shows is that their man-centered unity and their humanistic willingness to cooperate was anchored in one thing and one thing only, the anchor for this man-centered unity and this humanistic cooperation was rebellion against God's purposes. Now, how can I say that? Well, I'm going to do this in reverse order for you today because you'll recall in Genesis chapter 11 and the Hebrew manuscripts don't have chapter and verse demarcations. But 
explicitly immediately following the water receding from the flood after Noah and his family were in the ark for a year. The first thing announced in chapter 9, verse 1, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Folks, fruitfulness, multiplication, and spreading out was central to God's instruction to mankind. And you know, just as I know, that God's instruction in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, echoes what he said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And so you have God iterating and reiterating his purpose for mankind, fruitfulness, multiplication, and fruitfulness, reproduction, and spreading. God's desire was for his offspring to, to form, or should I say, to reproduce Eden all over the world. So when you get to Genesis chapter 11, and you come right down to it, in verse 4, they said, come let us build for ourselves a city. Was that anywhere a part of God's plan? No. The focus of the object of their initiative is them. Let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Now think about that. Man, we don't need God to get access to the stratosphere. All we need is a little bit of unity. <laughs> and then check this out. And this is pretty much the cap sheath in this particular verse. Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. We want to make for ourselves a name. And then look at this. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Brothers and sisters, these unified men and women viewed God's purpose as a negative consequence. Do you see that? Let's build for ourselves a city, a tower to stop to reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, if we don't do these things for ourselves, if we don't depend on ourselves, if we don't assert our independence from God, if we don't show our innovation, our capacity to enter into the stratosphere without God's will, without God's assistance, without God's purpose, if we don't do these things where we are the focal point, and I would add that the, the, the agitator for this was the old deluder himself, if we don't do these things, then the negative consequences are and we might end up doing what God told us to do from the beginning. Brothers and sisters, <laughs> discernment is distinguishing right from almost right. There is something that God has put in us as human beings that makes us social beings. God has hardwired us for community. So there is a, a, a dare I say, a designed component for men and women to coordinate. But then there's a sin nature that's striving there. And Satan's desire, he's the chief counterfeiter. What he wants to do is to twist and to contort and to pervert what God has formed and to fold them into his purposes. That's what he wants. And so what I am encouraging you to do is not simply resist calls for unity. What I'm inviting you to do is to tether yourself to the word of God. In 
Isaiah chapter 40 is a popular scripture. We know it. It says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Y'all remember that scripture. Well, the word wait in Hebrew there is the Hebrew word kava. It's the Hebrew word kava. And it literally communicates that the waiting is not a passive um, standing by, but it's actually an affirmative in the Hebrew it literally connotes binding oneself together as by twisting. So what Isaiah is conveying that he who binds himself together to the Lord by twisting, no matter what circumstances may arise, no matter what things may try to push you away from depending upon him and showing the relational discipline. Notice I didn't just say discipline, but the relational discipline is not just an humanistic ability to control oneself. It's a relational discipline. It is a discipline that is anchored in the person in whom you're trusting in. Bind oneself together by twisting and your strength shall be renewed. In this time, notice how uh, the Apostle Paul, when warning Timothy that, that uh, perilous times were coming, but he didn't call Timothy to, to faint or call Timothy to panic. He said, no, the word of God is profitable for rebuke and for instruction and for teaching. So what I'm saying, in this time, brothers and sisters, let us bind ourselves together by twisting and remain anchored and tethered to the word of God and resist the temptation to be uh, tempted into embracing these humanistic calls for unity, which ironically coincide with what they believe, <laughs> that Joe Biden just happened to get the most votes in the history of the United States of America. All right. Now they want to holler about unity. No, family. We want to be unified in the truth of God's word. There is no unity biblically if it's void of truth. If you have people who are inviting you to unify around a lie, they mean you no good. Even if they may be ignorant that they mean you no good, they nevertheless mean you no good. You and I want to be unified vertically to the Lord God of heaven above, and we want to cling to the truth of God's word. Because the reality is that the truth of God's word as Jesus said himself, he came to bring a sword. No matter, no matter how much you may want to try to soften it up, you can't be any nicer than Jesus. And Jesus is one of the touchstones of the gospel is its exclusivity. So the exclusivity of the gospel by its very intrinsic nature is not going to be given to the kumbaya. So I'm just telling you like a T.I. is. We don't want to respond to calls for broad-based human unity that's not based on truth. Based in truth, we want to be unified in truth. While in the emergency room with my wife, as she was struggling with the COVID-19 virus herself, and I looked at her, I said, are you scared? And she said, a little bit, but I've been through worse. The Certainty of Mankind's History with Uncertainty, an article by Peter Rosenberger. And then, as her fever was approaching almost 103, she started singing in Christ alone. I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. And that's how she has anchored herself in the certainty of Christ through her huge medical journey that has included 80 surgeries, both of her legs amputated, 100 doctors have treated her, 12 hospitals, and now the COVID-19 virus. And so when we live with those kinds of uncertainties, anchoring ourselves in Christ, in Christ alone. That's the only place we can run to where there is certainty. To read this article and more, visit afa.net forward slash the stand.
Pastor Robert Jeffress. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Imagine a giant dam that is in danger of uh, collapsing, crumbling, and uh, there's a village below filled with people who are in danger of being flooded. And a group of concerned townspeople go up and they push up against that dam. Then they know ultimately their effort is futile. Ultimately, that dam is going to burst. And that's really what we Christians are trying to do. We're not going to save this culture. We're not going to prevent its ultimate collapse. But we're to push back against evil for as long as we can to give people an opportunity to hear the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to be a preservative, pushing back against evil, but at the same time, we're to be sharing the light of Jesus Christ. And I believe we're to get involved and not get in our spiritual silos and wait for the end to come. A reminder from American Family Radio. His father and mother did not know it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Brian Fisher with the Life and Liberty Minute. That verse is from the story of Samson, the man God had chosen to liberate his people from bondage. Samson was a strong-willed child with a father too weak to correct him. He married a raw pagan out of lust rather than love. He broke every vow he had made to the Lord, and in a fit of rage beat a thousand men to death at one time with the jawbone of a donkey. Now, God likely did not approve of a single thing Samson did, yet he used all of Samson's glaring weaknesses in the end to enable Samson at last to fulfill the purpose God had for his life. God is still sovereign in human affairs. It is his will which will be done in the end. He uses even our worst to accomplish his best. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. Shining light into the darkness, this is the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Hamilton Corner here on American Family Radio. I'm excited because I have the distinct honor and privilege of having on the program with me a man of God, a brother in the faith, who serves as a pastor on staff at the People's Church in Uptown Cincinnati, Ohio. He's also, and I like this, he's described as a Barnabas in residence. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Uh, he's also the director of ministry engagement for the Douglas Leadership Institute. He's a, a husband of 35 years with, with a, two amazing children. He's also a professional saxophonist. Now, y'all know being from New Orleans, I like a saxophonist. Um, but I'm excited to have on the program with me now, Reverend Arnold Colbreth, director of ministry engagement for the Douglas Leadership Institute. Reverend Colbreth, thank you for joining me on the program today. Thank you for having me on the program. I really appreciate it. Oh, it is my pleasure and, and, and honor. I have known uh, the great work that uh, your organization, the Douglas Leadership Institute, is doing and has done and continues to do. And so when I got the call to say, hey, would you be willing to, interest, uh, to interview Reverend Colbreth? I said, yes, sir, I certainly will, because I want the Hamilton Corner, Corner audience to know what you all are doing with this new initiative, the Jeremiah 1 five initiative would you share a little bit about that with the audience sir absolutely we've we've launched this exciting uh, new project and uh <clears throat> jeremiah one and five is a very familiar passage of scripture and in the new living translation it reads like this god says to jeremiah i knew you before i formed you in your mother's womb before you were born i set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nation 
And as I prayed and just spent some time with the Holy Spirit and His Word in this verse, three life-affirming keys jumped out at me in that text. The first thing we see is the purview of God. God sees and knows us, even in the womb. The second thing is that God acknowledges personhood, even in the womb. He didn't tell Jeremiah, I saw a clump of cells. He said, I saw you. So pre-born lives matter. And then thirdly, uh, God assigns purpose in the womb. Each of us are called to do something special. He called Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nation, and each of us are called by him to do something unique as well. So purview, personhood, and purpose all reside within Jeremiah 1 and 5. Amen. And so understanding those three life-affirming keys that are found there, uh, what, what is the goal of the Jeremiah 1-5 project? Well, our goals are fourfold. Uh, it's to increase awareness of abortion and its impact on the black community, okay? Because abortion is the leading cause of death in the black community, higher than all other causes combined. You can add up all the other causes of death, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, etc., and they don't come up to the number of black abortions that occur. In fact, in 1960, there were 18,871,371 black people living in the United States uh, in 1960, according to the Census Bureau. Well, since 1973, when abortion was legalized, we've aborted 20 million black babies. So we've aborted more black babies than the entire black population of 1960. So you can see our sense of urgency in increasing awareness about abortion. Secondly, to decrease the, the desire for abortion. Thirdly, reduce the number of abortion providers because 79% of them, Planned Parenthood surgical abortion facilities, are located within walking distance of black and brown communities. That's intentional targeting. And fourth and finally, our goal is to eliminate the number of abortions in the black community. Now, uh, I, I just want to be clear to the listeners, my heart aches and breaks for all 2,500 babies of all ethnicities that die every single day in these United States mm. by surgical abortion. But the reason that we're so focused on the black community is because it's decimating people of color more than any other people group. The, the urgency is underscored right now, and, and I'm not asking you to weigh in on a, a political point one way or, an, or another, but the urgency is underscored right now. There is a runoff election for the U.S. Senate in Georgia uh, where one of the candidates, uh, Raphael Warnock, has, has billed himself, described himself as a pro-choice pastor. And uh, there are people who, who support him and whoever who are embracing this notion that, yes, I can be. <laughs> uh, pro advocates and supporters and endorsers or even abiders of children being slaughtered in the womb and also be a Christian. And, you know, I have a hard time with that, especially when you see, uh, just like you quoted Jeremiah 1, 5, I've, I've described before in, in the uh, Luke's recording of the gospel uh, that when Jesus described un, an unborn child and when he described suffering the children to come unto him, he used the same word, brephos in Greek, which is the same word. There's no different word for a child in the womb and a child outside the womb. The, the Lord himself described them both as children. And so uh, right. this, 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 uh, this election in Georgia is just one instance where what you are describing is proliferating in, a, in, our, in our country. And so what can... Well, go right ahead. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Go right ahead. No, no, no. I, I was just going to say I'm, I'm equally uh, grieved 
uh, as you are about a Reverend Warnock's position. And uh, we put together a, a letter where there are, uh, you know, 30 to 40, uh, if not more by now, uh, pastors that are signing on the lion's share of which serve and work and shepherd right in his same state of mm. Georgia. As a matter of fact, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock will be a press conference, and those same ministers will be really challenging and calling him to account for, for his position. And relative to that runoff election, our sister organization, the Frederick Douglass Foundation, you know, we have uh, close to 50 uh, canvassers, you know, uh, door to door, making people aware of the positions of Mr. Warnock in contrast with Lessler, excuse me, Lessler. And uh, we, you know, we're not we're not just pontificating about this problem. We're we're busy with boots on the ground involved to make a difference. Amen. Which is why I wanted you on. We've knocked on about sixty thousand doors so far, and uh, we're we're and counting. Mm, praise God for that. So, so what can the listeners who are who are right now listening? Uh, there are many pastors who listen to this program. What can they do to participate in and support? the Jeremiah 1-5 initiative? That's a great, great question. Uh, this program is primarily geared toward black pastors because, as I said, the black community is most significantly and disproportionately ravaged by abortion. But we welcome our white brothers and sisters in the, in the ministry, our Hispanic brothers and sisters, our Asian pastoral peers, to join us. It's going to take all of us working together to end the scourge of abortion and to help those who have been hurt by it. So pastors that sign up and stand with us will agree to three things. I'm a preacher, so that's why these P's keep coming <laughs> out, and alliteration is, is just kind of part of my DNA. If you heard my father preach, he's, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, but, but you say, oh, that's where the apple got it from. It didn't fall far from the tree. I might cue up the organ things. if you keep going. I'm going to cue up the organ in a second. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, pray, <laughs> to preach, and to promote. Pray for an end to abortion and that the goals and expectations of this project are achieved. Preach that life comes from God, that it's precious, and that it should be protected. And thirdly, promote the Jeremiah 1 and 5 project by not only signing up themselves, but also recruiting uh, a handful of other pastors to join us. The listeners can go to dlinstitute.org forward slash Jeremiah. Again, dlinstitute.org forward slash Jeremiah, we put a very simple and user-friendly sign-up right there. You can sign on as a pastor. You can sign up as a pastor or minister that does not have the authority to speak on behalf of his or her church. And you can also sign up as an individual, just saying, I'm concerned about this issue, and I'm standing with the Douglas Leadership Institute. There's a spot there for everybody to tick off a box. And to, and to put your information in. We need your voice and your participation on this very pivotal project. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me on the program here, Reverend, Reverend Colbreth, and I pray that your efforts uh, to uphold the Imago Day will be undergirded and will be supported, and may God's grace uh, go before you, with you, and behind you as you do so. Amen. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. All right. You know... <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm getting I'm getting stirred up because what Pastor Colbreth just talked about is really 
the culmination of Margaret Sanger's vision from the very beginning. Some of you may be aware that Margaret Sanger, in personal correspondence with the founder of the Procter & Gamble uh, Corporation, said, you know what we need to do? Because her goal was to exterminate, and, and I think people need to understand this, her, her goal includes, included her hatred for more melanated people, but it wasn't limited to them. She wanted all people who she deemed unfit to reproduce uh, sterilized. She wanted them sterilized, didn't want them to be able to reproduce. Uh, she called them human weeds. And in her correspondence with the founder of Procter & Gamble, said, you know what we need to do? In order to get access into these more melanated communities, we need to find preachers, you know, particularly those of the charismatic sort, you know, because in order to get access to these people, you know, because, you know, they trust their preachers. This is what she said in the letter. Y'all can look this up. I'm not. Y'all can look this up for yourself in order to get, get access because they trust the pre preachers. So we need to find to sponsor and to fund preachers to carry our message into their communities. Because if they get wind that what we really want to do is to exterminate the Negro population. This is what she said. If it ever gets out that this is what we want to do, we'll lose their preachers to keep. This is her exact word. This is an exact quote to keep the quote more rebellious of their lot in quote in line. Look it up. Look it up. That's what she said. And that, to have that, to be able to document that, and to hear people like Warnock talking about he's a pro-choice pastor, who's really being played here? And make no mistake about it. And this, this, is, this is one of the reasons why I, I, I cringe at the level that we have sank to, the, where we are as a nation, because we are so steeped in cultural Marxism, many of us don't even recognize it. Satan's plot, is to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, he will use ethnic division in, as an effort to accomplish his goal, but he wants to kill everybody. He wants to kill everybody. And we're, we're at such a place where, you know, you have to couch. People feel like they have a couch. A mess, and I, I know people try to be strategic and things of that nature, uh, but you have to couch a message in certain terms and this group and, and that group. Well, he wants to obliterate everybody, you know? How long is it going to take people to understand this? Like, do you think it's by happenstance <laughs> that these murder mills are placed in areas where people are impoverished and can't go anywhere else? You know, and I, I just. <sighs> people are re literally being destroyed. and You have people celebrating their own destruction and demise. It, it's 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 terribly, terribly, terribly astounding at the depth of wickedness. And, and you have people to the point I was making earlier about twisting things and perverting things. You have people now who <laughs> are trying to twist the notion of being pro-life into addressing things beyond murder of children in the womb, which, of course, you should address things beyond the murder of children in the womb. But when you start talking about sustaining adults and other people who have been born, you are having a different conversation than one surrounding the most, the literal most vulnerable people that exist. That's a child in the womb. You have others saying because they can't have their, 
you know, favored socialistic economic redistribution program so that they can be dependent perpetually, then they think it should be okay to let children continue to be slaughtered in the womb. It should, it is not, if anybody has a Bible and you read it, it is not a coincidence that when God sought to do various things within human history, when there's a promise of a deliverer coming to Egypt, it's not a coincidence that the satanic pension to slaughter children was the response from Pharaoh at the time. What was Pharaoh seeking to do? To secure himself and his, and his family on the throne because he saw the reproductive, the reproductive rates of the nation of Israel as a threat to his power. A, a, a commenter on social media says, they, they say from womb to the tomb. There's one distinction in there. In order to get to the tomb, you have to get out of the womb. <laughs> that, 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 but, but we refuse to, to and, and it's not a coincidence when Herod saw himself as being threatened that, oh, there will be another king other than me. His remedy was let's kill all of it. Guys, it. Satan ain't smart. He's just been around people a long time. He's just been around people a long time. And he makes his demonic suggestions, and it, it's mixed in that potent devilish co cocktail that includes human pride, and we come out with nonsensical things like, I'm a pro-choice pastor. Come on, man. Come on. That, that, that's just, that's, that's just, <laughs> that's insane. There are a lot of choices that precede conception if you so pro-choice. There are a lot of choices. And this doesn't mean we need to be uh, hard-hearted towards people who have difficult circumstance. But can we be honest? Not all of the people that are aborting children are in difficult circumstances. In terms of economic difficulty or in terms of other things. And there was a time <laughs> when we can preach the truth of God's word and convey the reality that folks, you know, sin has consequences. That doesn't mean we're going to cast you out and going to reject you or whatever, but sin does have consequences. But we're living in an era where people claim to be believers and they're preaching a gospel and sidestepping the reality of sin. And guess what you've just done if you do that? You have conveyed another gospel that is no gospel at all. And the Bible, not A, the Bible explains what the consequences are for doing things like that. I am editor-in-chief of onenewsnow.com. Jody Brown. We want to get news to folks who are tired of getting news that's written from an anti-God viewpoint. What people are going to see is news that is written from a biblical perspective by people who love the Lord. We would invite folks to give us a try. We know there's a lot of news sources out there. There are a lot of news websites. Come visit us at onenewsnow.com. Cross-examined with Dr. Frank Turek. How many people die from car accidents in America? About 30,000, 40,000 a year. But we never say we shouldn't drive anymore. We try and put safety equipment in cars and have proper road laws and speed limits and all that. 
By the way, that's a legislation of morality. Do you notice that? Why is that a legislation of morality? Because we're presupposing that human beings are valuable. All laws legislate morality. The only question is whose morality? Saturday mornings at 9 and Sunday afternoons at 4 Central on American Family Radio. Who has the corner on truth? This is David Wheaton, host of The Christian Worldview. In part one on big tech internet, the point was made that the one who controls the information is the one who is in control. Companies like Facebook, Google, YouTube, and Twitter gather data on us so they can market products to us and also they seek to influence your worldview. Their fact-check notifications on views they disagree with positions them as arbiters of truth, but the reality is their worldview contradicts the truth of Scripture. The corner on truth can only be found in God's Word. As Jesus prayed to the Father, your word is truth. Hear part two on Big Tech Internet at thechristianworldview.org and then tune in this weekend for another topic that will sharpen your worldview. Listen to The Christian Worldview with David Wheaton, Saturday mornings at 8 Central on American Family Radio. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. I need you to do something right now, folks. Text pound 250 with the keyword baby. We are in a crisis point in American history, and there is growing concern that the nation's abortion rate is about to explode. So I need your help right now to save the life of an unborn child. And that's why I'm partnering with Preborn, an organization equipping pregnancy centers with ultrasound machines. 80% of women who have an ultrasound save their child. So get on your phone right now. Text pound 250 with the keyword baby. Text pound 250 with the keyword baby. So Joe Biden has named Pete Buttigieg as his pick for transportation secretary. Now, this is an odd choice because Mayor Pete has absolutely no experience in the transportation field. The potholes in South Bend were legendary during Mayor Pete's term in office, and he once removed a traffic light from an intersection, leading to the death of a child. Now, in his acceptance address, Mayor Pete cited his qualifications. He says he loves riding Amtrak. He once took a college road trip on a cargo ship, and he proposed to his husband in an airport terminal. NPR gushed that the former mayor has a personal love for transportation. Well, I have a personal love for jetliners, but that doesn't mean I can fly the plane. Mayor Pete says if confirmed, he will work to deliver equity and empower everyone to thrive at the transportation department. Yeah, that's all well and good, but what we really need is somebody to fix the potholes and make sure the trains are running on time. I'm Todd Starnes. <laughs> The Hamilton Quarter Podcast and one-minute commentaries are available at AFR.net. Back to the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Hamilton Quarter here on American Family Radio. Now, I'm going to share a story now, mainly because I've been covering this. And, of course, no, nobody's surprised at this point that this is not getting very much attention in American media. Uh, but a report that was issued, a, a report was just issued um, by an organization, a Nigerian organization called the Society for Civil Liberties and Rule of Law, and its president is named Emeka Umiabalasi. Emeka Umiabalasi uh, has just revealed that in 2020 alone, that Muslim jihadists have killed over 2,200 Christians this year alone. 
And I've been reporting on this time and again, and it's happening. And I am happy to report that now internationally, more attention is being focused on there on the genocide. That, that, that's all it could be described as because the motivation for the murders is religious. Is religious. According to this report, it notes that the Nigerian president, Muhammadu Buhari, who also is a Muslim Fulani, um, they're turning, not only turning a blind eye to the genocide, but covering it up and in some instances using the force of government to perpetrate it. The report says, quote, in other words, the Nigerian government's major local and foreign policy direction in clandestine practice is Fulani jihadism, a policy pursued with utter alacrity and through different colors and disguises, including pro-jihadist or radical Muslim policies and conducts. Now, alacrity just means uh, brisk or cheerful, cheerful readiness. So they're literally saying that they're pursuing this policy of, of genocide with an eager, with a zeal, with a cheerful, let's go get them type of attitude. The report continues, quote, to cover up these, the president, I'm sorry, the present Nigerian government has also created an international machinery of falsehood and propaganda with well-funded or oiled intentional lobbying campaigns targeted at misinforming and misleading key and strategic international legislative, diplomatic, and democratic institutions or bodies especially the European Union, the United States, the UK, and Australia in their parliaments, the Commonwealth, and the United Nations, and other internationally respected state actors. Rather than identifying the deaths of Christians as religiously motivated acts, the government makes up other reasons to justify the murders. So if you're unfamiliar with the geographical and, and, and demographic and topographical makeup of Nigeria, the northern part of the country is predominantly Muslim. The southern part is predominantly Christian. And what's happening over and over and over and over is that you have Fulani tribesmen going south, killing Christians indiscriminately, then the government is saying, oh, what's really happening is that the Fulani herdsmen, herdsmen uh, they don't have enough land to graze for their cattle. They don't have enough room. And so what happens when they start grazing further south, you know, you have these little skirmishes over land and, you know, that's what it is. Well, that's not what it is at all. The truth is. Well, let me get get more from this report and then I'll provide more commentary. As. Emeka Umia Balasi said, <laughs> what is happening here is that the government is mapping out strategies. It's a kind of script that they give to the media. And they allow the murder to have the cover of official government misinformation. Emeka goes on to say, quote, the truth is that Fulani tribesmen travel south because they are radical Islamists looking for Christians to kill. They don't attack Muslim villages. And traditional cattle grazing methods don't support enough cows to justify fatal conflicts with farmers. She says, quote, Buhari, the president, sets aside the Constitution. 
He fills the government with Muslims who share this hostility toward Christians. He inserts, he stacks the government with Muslims in high positions of authority who refuse to report on what's actually happening. She ends this part of this report saying, quote, the country is being taken over by the caliphate. When they are done in the north, they will come to the south, end quote. That is what is happening. They're seeking to establish a caliphate. Tell me if you heard about that before. In the north. And feeling like it is settling more and more there. There are more and more incursions into the south, southern part of the nation to where they are simply <laughs> indiscriminately, indiscriminately killing Christians. This last paragraph from the report reads thusly, quote, the government of Nigeria clandestinely will direct the army commander or commissioner of police in charge of the incident area to organize a press conference denying the killing or linking it falsely to another cause such as attack by bandits or rival communal violence or killing associated with kingship, chieftaincy, intra-communal violence or reprisal violence or cult-related killing or killing arising from armed robbery and kidnapping or road accidents. And I'm presenting this to you for several reasons. One, members of the family of God in Nigeria are members of our eternal family. So when they're slaughtering Christians in the nation, they're slaughtering my eternal family and yours. When people are murdered, their families are left to deal with the fallout from that. Secondarily, I want to encourage you to pray. To pray for the brothers and sisters in Nigeria. Many of them uh, that are closer to the northern part of the country. With all of this happening, they're still going to church. They're still gathering for worship. They do so knowing that this may be the very last day that they might live. Um, <laughs> pastors are attacked with all kinds of acids and oils. I mean, it, it, it's it's. This is happening now, y'all. This is not like something that's going to happen. In the, this is happening right now. This is happening right now. And, and by praying for the persecuted church across the world, when I'm using this particular nation, I'm highlighting this particular nation right now, uh, because it, it, it's, 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 it's grieving what's happening, and the, the government cover-up is grieving. And many of our nations, many of the nations around the world are turning a blind eye to it as well. You know, you would think in a moment where you have people crying out for justice like never before, you would think this this type, type of story would be one that would get more, more, more airtime in this country. Kind of lets you know that what's being cried out for, generally speaking, is not biblical justice. And I don't even like putting the modifier on it because justice is defined biblically. But this is happening right now. And I believe our nation has the influence where we could do something about it. But I'm concerned that there are many in our nation, even those who are attempting to accrue to positions of influence in our nation and, and, and political, governmental positions of influence, they're not very interested in protecting religious freedom around the world. So it's 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 a it's a grieving a grieving 
I have another story, and this is, you know, this is par for the course. I'm going here because I've, I've never discussed this particular governor before. But, you know, it just fits in with the same old thing. So Rhode Island's governor, Gina Raimondo. Raimondo. Just not too long ago, issued an edict to the Rhode Islanders. She then followed it up with this tweet, quote, it's, it's week two of our pause. I know it's been hard, but I want to thank every Rhode Islander who's following our guidance. Please stay home except for essential activities and wear a mask anytime you're with people you don't live with. Together, we can turn our case numbers around. <laughs> that was a little slick willy. That wasn't Gina. That was slick willy. We, we can take our case numbers around. Well, oh, Gina. Gina, 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 Gina. Gina just so happened to get photographed out in Rhode Island at a wine and paint night. She's sipping the wine and she's just a painting, just a sipping and a painting and a painting and a sipping and a sipping and a painting and a painting and a sipping. So she's gotten a bit of a tussle there in Rhode Island. Because people are saying, wait a minute. So you're telling us we need to stay home. But you're not staying home. You tell us. Don't be around other people who don't live with you. And you going to the paint and wine joint. And this is exhibit number 17 of do what I say, not what I do. And I ask the question again. If it is what they are telling you, then why aren't they complying with the very thing they are telling other people to do? Could it be that they don't believe what they're telling you to do? And by they, I mean the Grinch who tried to steal Thanksgiving, Gavin Newsom. I mean Gina Raimondo. I mean all of these regressive politicians who have no problem, no problem trampling your rights, no problem shutting down business for small business owners while the big boxes and the major tech companies, they're making money hand over fist. I mean, your Amazons, your Walmarts, your big boxes, I mean, they, they are they're balling out of control while your moms and pops, pop stores, they're having great difficulty. And none of this is meant to construe or meant to convey that the virus isn't uh, important. But the messaging can be a lot different. You know, there should be more emphasis on comorbidities. There should be more emphasis on precarious circumstances, not try to control every single person. But many of the people who are advocating for such control. They're not complying with it on their own. You know, and we're seeing these things because we're in the technological era. Everybody has a camera with their phones. And so they're seeing these people like, wait a minute, ain't that the governor over there? Gina? Gina, are you sitting over there with B2B? What you doing over there, Gina? And then the spin police come out. Oh, Governor Raimondo was, was, was not doing anything wrong. She was enjoying dinner. I'm like, but you told everybody else to stay home. Man, it's sickening.
it's sickening. It's sickening. But this is where we are. This is where we are. If you can go sip, and if you can go out, why can't anybody else go out? And if nobody else can't go out, if no one else can go out, then why shouldn't you be at home too? These are the questions I'm asking, you know. But having said all of that, folks, and, and, and I want you to know, I don't try to end the show on a high note. I, I, you know, I, I try to, I'm just trying to keep it real with y'all. All of these things that we're talking about, seeing the craziness that is happening, I'm sharing this with you so you can be informed. But these things don't make me hopeless. They do not. I've said it numerous times. Ideas have consequences, and bad ideas create casualties. But guess what Jesus armed us with the gospel to accomplish? To set, at free, to set free the captives, to be vessels of his, to communicate the truth of his word so that people can have an eternal hope. I can continue to remain encouraged because the places that we're in and the time that we're in, God has appointed for you and I. And my confidence is not in Gina. My confidence is not in Gavin Newsom. My confidence is not in Donald Trump. My confidence is not in any governmental employee, not in any elected official. My confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because my confidence is anchored there in, in him, it's very difficult for me to allow these things that are happening to eclipse his preeminence. And so my encouragement to you is the same way that I encourage myself. That if the storm is raging, keep your focus on the word giver. Because though the storms may rage around us, it doesn't mean that the storms have to be given license or given permission to rage inside of us. And as we stand firm and contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to us as his saints, the Lord gives us the capacity to, even in the midst of the storm, to find such peace. The storms are raging and Jesus is asleep. Don't forget, folks, Jesus is in the boat. Y'all have a great evening. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.